Hello, nerds! Hello, nerds! And uh, welcome to the Moving Forward podcast. Yeah, uh, so this is a, a joint collaboration. I, I, you know, just for all the nerds uh, that are watching in the live stream, Rio and I are are basically dual purposing this uh, conversation. Excited to uh, reconnect, Rio. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm about as well as you could be under the circumstances. Uh, we're living through like uh, crazy soap opera. You couldn't write this stuff. Yes, it does not get any more nutty than this. I, I remember when I saw that Hope got um, tested positive. I was like, wow, that's pretty crazy because it's a, supposedly the safest kind of bubble of protection around the president possible. But now with the president himself and Melania and Chris Christie and Kellyanne Conway and the head of the Republican Party and the campaign manager for Trump 2020, it's like the whole inner Trump elite uh, kind of headquarters has been um, infected. And, you know, it, it, I can't say I'm super shocked given the uh, the seemingly lack of precautions. Like uh, if you watch any of the Trump events or rallies or the Supreme Court kind of, um, you know, nomination kind of uh, gatherings, it, it doesn't seem like it seemed like my local supermarket takes more precautions than official White House events. I don't know, just looking at the, uh, the, the pictures of those events. So if you look behind me, uh, if you're watching this on video, there is a, a picture of the Barrett uh, White uh, Rose Garden ceremony. And there's little circles around all of the people who tested positive at the time of this event. And you'll notice most of them are not masked. And they do not appear to be six feet apart. And so I was just, uh, you know, kind of reflecting that when I go to Safeway or QFC or whatever the supermarket is in your part of the country, you know, Grand Union or Pathmark or whatever, like there's probably more distance between you and the random person at the checkout counter than between some of the uh, people at the highest levels of our government. And that's just nuts. I don't know. It just seems crazy. Even like I heard before the presidential debate, Trump, according to the rules, was supposed to be tested uh, with a rapid test. But uh, Chris Wallace revealed that they weren't able to do that for him because he arrived late and they just said the show had to go on. But just seems uh, seems like there's two two worlds we're living in. There's the world where everybody's trying to do everything they can to mitigate, and then there's the the MAGA world. Yeah, um, the MAGA world is doing everything they can to do something, though, which is to steal this election. And I think that it is. I've gotten to the point where I don't think that's a conspiracy theory. I think that's just plain what's happening. So that was the main thing I wanted to talk to you about, mm -hmm. Tom, before yeah. you know, half sure. of Trump's inner circle caught coronavirus um <laughs> which is not something i expected to wake up to yesterday yeah oh brother uh but i know you're the data guy you know data and stats better than anybody else in my, my inner circle so i wanted to talk to you about what do you think about this idea being floated that statistically because trump is uh basically brainwashing his fans to be afraid of the mail um and that mail votes can't count that he's going to basically look probably like he won on an electoral landslide on November 3rd because his people are all going to go vote in person. 
Meanwhile, Democrats are requesting mail-in ballots at significantly higher numbers than Republicans, which actually has a lot of Republicans in the Senate and Congress worried because they're like, you know, we need votes too, Donald Trump. What the heck? Yeah. Um, But it seems like Trump's plan is to basically declare victory on November 3rd, not wait for the other 80% of mail-in ballots to be counted, and then try to get them thrown out in the Supreme Court or something along those lines, which is nuts. It is nuts. It is nuts that the leader of the world's greatest democracy is trying to undermine confidence in said democracy. Um, If he wanted to do something like say, hey, we are going to um, provide additional funding to local governments to ensure a more timely counting of the ballots or to provide um, stronger measures around ballot security or whatever, I would be like, hey, that's great. Let's do that. Let's make sure this thing is run. But but to just tell people, oh, I heard there were millions of ballots found in a stream in the, in Texas and there was a, um, a waste paper basket, you know, that had a, a Trump ballot in it. It just it just sort of I think it's meant to undermine trust. He's not actually trying to solve a problem. He's not trying to mitigate risk. He's just trying to like throw throw kind of doubt and uncertainty. And I think you're right. I I believe that he knows that he's going to lose and he needs a way to save face so that for the rest of his life, he can say, well, you know, I really won. They stole it from me. It reminds me of back in 16 when he lost the popular vote by 3 million. And he said, you know, there were 3 million illegitimate votes in the last election. And remember, he started the Commission on Election Integrity led by, I think, the governor of Kansas or something. And they went, they spent 11 months trying to pr- provide a case that those 3 million that he lost by were all invalid. And they quietly disbanded. I think they announced it on a Friday at like uh, 10 p.m. Eastern in a very small press release like all news from Trump world these days. So I think you're right. I think he is absolutely trying to to kind of um, complain about it, anticipating that he loses. And if he wins, then I'm sure he'll say this is like the greatest landslide in American history. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you looked at it, the details, but I found 538's argument pretty compelling. Basically, they just went state by state and said, like, if, you know, if it, on November 3rd, he's going to it's going to look like he won by a lot. Yeah. Um, and then after the votes are counted, he's probably going to lose by a lot. I mean, it is the least popular incumbent president in my lifetime. Um, yeah. So there's that. Um, do, do you want to do you want to yeah. talk about the hard? Yeah. Numbers a I mean, I think you you see this. It's not the first time we've seen this. Like we we know this happens in typical elections when um, even without heavy mail-in voting, just the order at which precincts report hmm. and the pattern of who votes earlier in the day versus who votes um, like a- after after work or you know later in the afternoon hmm. tends to historically favor Republicans earlier in the count. And then it trends the other way. And I think in this case, it'll be even further exacerbated because of all the mail-in voting and the fact that more Democrats are requesting 
and expect it to vote by mail than than Republicans. So I think absolutely this is something that Mike Madrid from the Lincoln Project also talked about months ago, where he was like, look, this is what's going to happen. Like on November 3rd, when the polls officially close and they start reporting results, it may very well look like Trump won by a little bit. And then as the night and days go on, it'll pull away from him and Biden will eventually have more votes. And so we should just kind of be aware that that's going to be the trend and that's going to be the pattern. Mm -hmm. But it does present the perfect narrative of a stolen election. Uh, you know, like well, to low information voters, it'll look like that, right? To the sorts of people who watch reality television and think it's actual reality, <laughs> which is where <laughs> Trump comes from. Uh, yeah. This is going to be, you know, this is going to be energizing infotainment um, that is going to be great for Trump's brand with his base when he starts Trump TV afterward. But my my concern, and I'm I don't know what to think about this, is that mm -hmm. there's a possibility that a stacked Supreme Court might actually hand it to him and say, "Yeah, throw out all those mail in ballots." I doubt it, but it's possible. Yeah, I mean, this is one of those years where you can't rule anything out, and certainly, um, you know, there might be legitimate differences of opinion about like, oh, what do you do with a ballot that? has the wrong envelope or where, mm. you know, they signed in the wrong place. And uh, obviously we, we need to maintain high standards. I, I just, I just think maybe this also talks about the way our government is set up every state, they kind of make up their own rules. And so it's like, yeah, well you, that's how the system is works, the, the system works and it has all these limitations. And so if the Supreme court is going to come on and say, oh, I'm going to make a sweeping decision, uh, that mm -hmm. that's disturbing to me. Like, I feel like that's not the purpose of the court. Um, but it would be the ultimate irony that the mm -hmm. strict interpret interpretation, like defer to the state's sort of Republican approach gets kind of thrown to the side and, and a different outcome uh, is argued for, which is kind of what happened with the Bush recount in Florida, where you had all of these Democrat uh, justices saying, no, defer to the state, defer to the state. And then you had the Republicans saying, no, 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 the federal government should take a stronger stand on this. So uh, I wish there was some more consistency in worldviews, but, uh, you know, we clearly live in a political world. Well, like the folks at the Lincoln Project keep pointing out, um, Donald Trump's movement has proven that the Republican Party never really believed in any of the conservative values that I still believe in. Right. Mm -hmm. They clearly don't believe in states' rights. Right. They believed in states' rights, then they wouldn't be backing that position. Right. They just want whatever is going to maintain power for themselves. It's all just about power at this point. And if you have to throw the constitution in the gutter to do it, that's what they're going to do. Yeah, it's, it's quite sad. And I, I think I saw some recent uh, polls showing that, um, you know, a lot of Republicans have already been convinced that this mm -hmm. election is, uh, or before the results have come in, is that, that it's, it's unfair and that they have no confidence in the electoral process. And if you um, if you project that out to then this kind of strange uh, uh, unveiling of results that seem contradictory, 
who knows? Who knows what some hardcore MAGA folks will do? Like, will they? Will they well, feel they're standing obligated? By. Yeah, are they standing by, and will they feel obligated to sort of, you know, take action in some dangerous way? I don't know. It's uh, it's certainly disturbing. Yeah, there's also explicit calls that Trump has made for people to watch the polls, right? To basically make sure that illegals don't vote and make sure that the wrong people don't vote. I mean, mm-hmm. I've been telling my friends who are planning to drop their ballots off in person or to vote in person to mm-hmm. bring mace with them, frankly, right? Mm. Because if somebody tries to hold you up physically and prevent you from casting your vote, that is kind of the equivalent of a mugging, especially if they have a weapon. But even if they don't, if they're just big and tough, you have every right to defend yourself and go about your day without being accosted. It's it's a terrifying thought. But here, this is, you know... Maybe I'm being a little too mean to the average Trump voter. I my my sympathy levels keep dropping. Um, but like, you know, I mean, we should be able to trust our president. Mm-hmm. And when you have the president and the leader of your party telling you that America's democracy is a sham, which I mean, what could make Vladimir Putin happier than than that, right? Some people are going to believe him, and it is undermining faith not only in democracy but in America itself. It's a deeply anti-American, unpatriotic thing to do. It's kind of treason, frankly. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think uh, that sort of Republican base has uh, when I when you look at like some survey uh, results of how how they view the world. It is really extremely different from, I think a lot of people certainly may be watching this show. Here's I'm just sharing a little bit. This is a recent uh, NBC News survey monkey poll. But it, it says, like, how worried are you uh, that you or someone in your family be exposed to coronavirus? If you lean Republican, most majority, about 59% are not worried, uh, not too worried or not worried at all. Uh, one out of four Republicans are not worried at all about COVID. And then um, in terms of like whether they think the election will be fair, I think it's something like 65% of Republicans think that the uh, the election will, uh, w- they, they have concerns about whether the outcome will be fair. And so it's just, uh, you know, classic two different worlds we live in. And I, I see this even in my own family with my MAGA mm-hmm. family. And someone in my family was saying uh, after the debate, oh, I think Biden was reading off an iPad and his team was just giving him like a virtual teleprompter because he kept looking down. And I said to them, like, what are you talking about? They have notes. They have pen and paper. He probably jotted down some talking points, which is totally fine. And they said, well, I've done but, that doing podcasts before. Yeah. Right. And so uh, they I said, there's and it's like it's against the rules. You can't just freaking bring electronic devices and read off a teleprompter. And you know what the, the MAGA person said? And it wasn't even my brother, who's like the most MAGA, but another MAGA member of my family said they said, um, well, you know what? People are saying that he had help from that iPad. And I was like, what people are saying? Like, how do you just make arguments like this? That's a Trumpism right there. That 
It's really funny when he accuses the New York Times of, oh, you had anonymous sources. Right. I guarantee you he doesn't know about the history of the Washington Post and like the Nixon scandal and what anonymous sources mean and how they actually go through a very vetted process. And real journalists are not fake news. Fake news are the people on the Internet spreading conspiracy theories because somebody said this. Yeah. It's it's nuts. And uh, but we I kind of feel like that's the root cause of a lot of our problems where if we can't agree on a shared set of facts and evidence, then you basically will will be able to pick your own reality. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's part of what Orwell was getting at in 1984. Right. If you can undermine the idea of truth itself and have people believe that the truth isn't what they see in front of them, the truth is what the great leader tells them. That's when democracy starts dying. Yeah. So what's your uh, what's your prediction? Do you think there's going to be a second debate? Because it will be in technically it's supposed to be in 14 days, right? I mean, the honestly, the the life of the disease varies enormously, right? Some people are still re- recovering months later. Um, he caught it with a month left in the election. Right. I mean, I I highly doubt he's going to be able to do any rallies or that he's going to be able to do any debates or many debates. I don't know if they're going to try to are they going to hook up a laptop like I've got here in his hospital bed? I I, I don't know. It's it's crazy. What do you think would have happened if it were the other way around? Like if Biden caught it and Trump were still fine, I think Trump would say, see, Number one, masks don't work. Number two, Sleepy Joe is not fit. He should drop out immediately. But we don't even have to speculate about how he would handle that because while um, as soon as as it became public knowledge that Trump was in the hospital, the Biden campaign immediately put out a statement saying that we are going to pull all our negative ads, right? Because that's Mm -hmm. the classy thing to do, right? It's also just smart politics. You don't want to look like an asshole beating up on a sick guy, right? Mm -hmm. A weak, sick man in the hospital. You don't want to be a bully, right? But um, the Trump campaign's reaction was to insult the Biden campaign, call them stupid, and then say, we're going to keep running our negative ads about Biden. So basically, screw you, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that it is two separate standards. We have one person who's a gentleman and a patriot and another person who is a buffoon. Pretty much. Yeah. It's. Uh, I mean, that was pretty clear watching that debate to me. But I know a lot of people who watched that same debate and said that uh, President Trump showed great vigor and strength and, uh, you know, Biden was uh, a deer in the headlights kind of thing. And I do think that there were plenty of times where I wish Biden were stronger. But my general reaction was like, wow, our president is acting like a kind of like someone that, you know, that would have been uh disciplined in school if he acted like that yeah yeah i mean i think at a bare minimum trump is um what the russians call a useful idiot right because they it's not even necessarily that they want policies certain policies like sure Mm -hmm. they would prefer that you know it's great for them to have a a president who who advocates putting them back in the g7 right that sort of thing Mm -hmm. they care about that but honestly their number one goal is just to sow chaos and to turn americans against one another which is why their um, misinformation campaigns are not just targeting the alt-right, they're also targeting the far left. Part of the reason that we have a resurgence of communism and socialism and people saying that on the left, 
saying the Democratic Party establishment is corrupt and evil and can't be trusted, basically talking points that are identical to the alt-right, mm-hmm. because both sides are being fed this by the Russians to try to radicalize Americans against one another. I mean, if we have a little mini civil war or I don't see how we don't at least get some some rioting and and some maybe some terrorism, right? When Trump refuses to concede. I mean, that blo- like it should surprise us when the president of the United States refuses to denounce white supremacy. It should surprise us when the president of the United States tells a racist, violent organization to stand by. Mm-hmm. And it should surprise us when the president of the United States says that he refuses to say that he will concede the election if he loses, right? He refuses yeah. to commit to the peaceful transfer of power that began with George Washington, right? I mean, but none of this surprises us anymore. How could it? No, it doesn't. And I mean, I think uh, I saw on Twitter there were some Trump supporters. By the way, there's a lot of, I find like there's not a lot, but there's a meaningful number of Trump supporters with blue hats on their avatars. And I'm like, wow, like it's so interesting that we all were um, really excited about Andrew Yang. And now we look at this shared reality and we come up with completely different conclusions. And one of the things I saw someone arguing was like, oh, I can show you all the times where Trump denounced white supremacists and they'll point to a statement he made after Charlottesville, mm-hmm. uh, you know, off reading off some prepared remarks. And I think the the nuance there is that, yeah, of course, he has said lots of things that seem like they're very, um, you know, critical of extremist groups. But then there's what he says when he's off the cuff, mm-hmm. when, you know, when he's making policy or when he doesn't know he's being recorded or frankly, when he's even on Twitter and he's in a live televised debate and he knows millions of people are listening. Yeah. Yeah. And and I feel like he, he, he also is smart. He knows that a lot of his base do probably believe that, uh, that white culture is superior and the white race is superior. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't, I, I don't know whether or not, um, it's any deeper for Trump than just these people are on my side. Mm-hmm. Right. And if they like me, then I like them, you know? That's yeah. Kind of what it is. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of what he said about Putin, right? Like Putin, cause I think Putin said some nice things about <clears throat> Trump. And, uh, then if you look at Kim Jong Un's letter to Trump, he was very effusive in his praise mm-hmm. of the president's intelligence and, and leadership. And, that's a great way to be on his, uh, be be one of his best buddies. And if you're ever critical of him, then you go into the he's an idiot camp, I guess. Yeah, that's something I was going to ask you. Is I mean, because I, I called him a useful idiot, but useful idiot doesn't necessarily mean the person is an idiot. It means that this person's going is easily manipulated in one way or another. Mm-hmm. They're going to they're going to do something that is in our interest, and so let's help them along, even if they aren't colluding per se right right? Mm -hmm. but we Mm -hmm. do know that there was some collusion that we happened that happened we know that people in trump's campaign passed um analytics that's your thing tom you know how powerful data is past data about american citizens right to the russians so that they could use it in their misinformation campaign 
Um, you know, I mean, there's a reason that a lot of people in Trump's inner circle ha have been investigated and 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 possibly maybe a Guinness record for the most members of his campaign and administration to be found guilty of a felony. I mean, we're kind of dealing with a lot of shady characters here. I mean, the, the irony is that we've never had a swampier administration, at least not in living memory. Yeah, I, I uh, had the pleasure of reading the Republican chaired Senate Intelligence Committee report on uh, Russian inter intervention in, in the campaign. And you're right. It's it's if you didn't know, you would think it was it was like a, a Hollywood story. The fact that Paul Manafort literally shared internal campaign data with known Russian operatives. I, I have to believe if Hillary did that, people would be calling her traitorous and accusing her campaign of treason. Well, and they should be because it would be, right? Yeah. I mean, and any any Democrat who defended her would be demonstrating right. that they're putting party over country, period. Yeah. Like, don't be passing anything to the Russians, the Chinese, whoever. Well, and Paul, it doesn't matter. Paul Manafort, Paul Manafort is he we, we knew that he was this 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 shady guy who worked for you know dictators in the yeah. Ukraine and had he had all of these sketchy connections. There were people talking about it as soon as he started working on Trump's campaign. They're like, red flag, this guy yeah. should not be on any presidential campaign, or really shouldn't be on any American campaign. I mean, it probably reflects the reality that in 16, he didn't have access to the best, most vetted people. The fact that he had to kind of dust mm -hmm. off Paul Manafort to run his camp, because I think a lot of people were like, Paul Manafort, like, that guy hasn't been in the game for decades. Like, why? But, you know, like, if you're if you're kind of the clown campaign, you're not mm -hmm. going to attract the cream of the crop. Um, or I guess Trump supporters would say, like, you know, the elites or whatever. But you do bring in a lot of shady characters with some kind of strange backgrounds. I, I'm not also not sure that Trump really did a lot of vetting. Like, I don't I don't feel like his campaign was run. Ironically, mm -hmm. was not run like a like a corporation or like a business. I think more like a family kind of entertainment kind of company. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. and also, frankly, Trump isn't good at running businesses, right? He yeah. inherited a whole bunch of money, and 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 proceeded to have multiple projects declare bankruptcy. He basically robbed from investors, paid himself a bunch of money, and then had the companies declare bankruptcy to the point where American banks won't loan him money. And now we know um, that he only paid seven hundred and fifty dollars in taxes, right? That I, I mean, that means he's hemorrhaging money. That, he's yeah. not this successful guy. He owes $100 million to the IRS. He owes $300 million to Deutsche Bank and other places. I mean, that that's like, you shouldn't have to be borrowing massive sums of money like that from sketchy places unless you're in real trouble. And when you can't get a legitimate bank to loan you money because your projects keep going bankrupt, right? You're going to do something. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I will, I will give him credit. I do think that... Uh, his work on The Apprentice show uh, was a legitimate, uh, successful way that he earned hundreds of millions of dollars. I mean, yeah. he may not be the best real estate investor or developer, but he was very effective as the host of a reality TV show. Yeah, I mean, but that's another irony, right? Because Trump supporters like to talk about elites in Hollywood and how they're mm -hmm. so awful and everything, right? Well, that is Trump's only success. 
And then he capitalized on that brand. Um, he, he's, he's basically a guy who has sold this image of himself, right? And he was doing that even before The Apprentice. That's how he got The Apprentice gig, right? Mm-hmm. Selling this image of himself as this successful man, never mind the fact that he actually inherited the money. And we now know he committed felony fraud to avoid paying taxes on his inheritance by actually funneling money through shell companies and stuff, which is literally a crime. And he can't be charged with that, unfortunately, because by the time that uh, the New York Times research discovered that the statute statute of limitations had expired, right? Mm-hmm. But, you know, I mean... So yeah, there's this brand and he did, he did make a a popular, um, it was a huge part of a popular reality TV show, right? Um, He knows reality television. He has a natural talent for uh, spinning a story for, uh, for manipulating people who are easily manipulated. But, you know, his most recent successes in real estate weren't uh, from, weren't from building buildings and ridding them out which is actually a really hard business, right? Mm-hmm. You know, despite despite what a lot of people on the left say, where they say, cancel rent and landlords are evil. Like, it's a business that's work and it costs money and it can fail. It's hard, right? Anyway, um, he made a lot of money then using the name and the image that he built around himself as a super successful person to just sell his brand to other biz- other businesses that put Trump on them and charge them millions of dollars for that. That's a very lucrative business because it costs you nothing, right? That's pure profit. Yeah, I think there's... Uh, Ironically, nobody wants to pay for his, his name on a building anymore, I don't think. Yeah. But certainly not in New York City or San Francisco or any of the places where these uh, these nice um, rentals are going to be. Yeah, I'm not going to be buying any uh, Trump wine anytime soon. But you're right. Like, There's a great chart that the New York Times did where they kind of data visualized where he makes his money and where he loses money. He loses a lot of money on his properties, like the Trump National, Doral, DJT Holdings, a lot of the property they own. Trump Tower is probably the one legitimate real estate business that has generated money. But as you can see, the yellow here is all of the licensing and endorsements, which basically were a spinoff of the brand he built from The Apprentice. And so that's where you see a ton of... uh, of income being generated and then it ends up being lost in the traditional real estate. Yeah, And you also notice that the losses are greater than the gains. I mean, that's, yeah. that's the only yeah. way to avoid paying taxes, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, short of fraud, which he's also done in the past, that's yeah. just legitimate. I mean, he could be, he could be cooking the numbers on that too, for all we know, right? He could be, he could be exaggerating his losses and hiding his gains. We don't, we don't know. Like, yeah. I mean, when, when somebody lies to you every single day, multiple times a day, um, when your own lawyer set, advises you not to talk to Congress under oath because your own lawyer knows you're literally incapable of telling the truth for even an hour, right? I wouldn't put anything past him, but yeah. Yeah, it's uh, that's the guy that we have. I mean, what do you think about his uh, number two? I mean, we've got a, a vice presidential debate coming up on Wednesday with uh, Pence and Harris. Like, What do you think is going to happen there? I mean, I think the biggest thing that Pence has has going against him is just the fact that he agreed to be Trump's vice president. You know, I mean, that's actually the thing that bothers me the most about most most Republicans. I'd be much more open to Pence. I'd be much more open to every Republican in Congress if they hadn't, you know, tied themselves to the sinking ship of ship of Trumpism. I disagree with Pence on social issues. He's much more religious than I am. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm more of like a small government, individual liberty kind of conservative, not a Mm -hmm. theocrat. Um, so that bothers me, 
But, you know, I mean, if it was Pence versus Bernie Sanders, I would almost definitely vote for Pence, apart from the fact that he's now associated with the Trump taint. Uh, I suspect he's, he'll do a good job. He's much more of a gentleman than Trump. Um, he doesn't constantly lie. He does more of the traditional politician thing of just evading. Not not that he hasn't lied on behalf of Trump, and I'm sure. Uh, you know, well, Pence, Pence on like Trump actually is a real Christian, and he probably has some moral qualms with lying um, on behalf of Trump. You know, I, I I actually I don't think Pence is as nearly as as bad a character. I really don't. Yeah, I uh, I find Pence Pence's. Um, I'm most concerned about Pence. Well, fundamentally, I also am not uh, a huge believer in mixing kind of religious uh, beliefs into government. Um, and then secondly, I think I'm most disturbed by how can this man who has talked about the importance of integrity and honesty and faith to family then agree to be the vice president for this orange specimen of on his third marriage that pays off porn stars and lies on a daily basis. Like, how do you, how do you do that? And I know that the argument is don't worry because Pence is really cares about the Supreme court and lowering taxes and less regulation, but it does say something about your personal values. And basically he's saying, yeah. well, I'm willing to trade the, the, the sort of means for, for the end. And mm -hmm. I wonder, I mean, you know, you you can, you can get down a slippery slope if you go down that that path too far. Mm -hmm. The thing that I'm, I'm curious about, I'd love to get your thoughts on, Rio, is do you think with Trump now being hospitalized and probably uh, out of the circuit, at least in person for a couple of weeks, does Pence need to dial up the kind of meat, red meat for the base in his absence? Or do you think Pence will continue to be kind of the stoic, hey, I'm, I, I'm, I'm kind of here, but I'm not here. You know what I mean? Like, what, what do you think his role will be in the campaign? And do, does he need to change gears for the, for the big debate? I mean, I, I think he definitely needs to change gears for the debate. I'm sure that, well, for one thing, the media is going to make a much bigger deal out of the vice presidential debate because we're, we may not be getting any more presidential debates. Uh, so they're going to really push it. You know, they, they're they're a business, right? You know, me, media companies are a business. They want to make money. They want to have, you know, excitement in the air and get eyeballs to watch. So they're going. So I think more people are going to watch the vice presidential debate than might have otherwise. I think that uh, Pence might have been able to um, take a very different tone in the vice presidential debate because, as you said, that he could kind of good cop, bad cop it with Trump. Mm -hmm. Um now he can't do that as much. Um, I What I do think almost certainly will change is that Pence is going to play the sympathy card. He's going to talk about, you know, how Trump is such a wonderful man and how as a Christian, he's praying for him while he's going through this stuff. He's going to try to play the sympathy card on behalf of Trump. And I'm, I actually think that's really smart because Trump is not the sort of person who engenders sympathy in people, but Mike Pence could, Right. And and it's not it's not Trump saying oh woe is me it's another person speaking on his behalf a person who has much more credibility with the sorts of people who really do pray not just hold Bibles upside down in front of churches they don't go to. Do you have sympathy for for Trump given that he's now being hospitalized? Yeah, I mean, I have I, I have I have sympathy for him as a human being, um, but 
I, I'm sorry, like if he were to pass away, that would be a good thing for America. You know, you can, those two things can be simultaneously true. Yeah, I, I find it hard to feel bad for him because I know that he actively tried to convince the country that this virus was not a big deal, that we had rounded the corner, that masks were politically correct. He literally criticized Biden in the last debate for saying, oh, your events, you require people to be six feet apart. You know, like you're, you're, you're overreacting, you're, you're kind of hyperventilating over nothing. And, you know, now that he's contracted the thing that he's tried to dismiss, I don't know, there's a little bit of poetic justice to that in my mind. Yeah, that's true. If it, I mean, if, it, if the tables were turned, I'm sure a lot of evangelicals will be saying, you know, this is an act of God. Yeah. Um, what do you think is, uh, what do you think is going to happen after this election is over to the Republican party? Do you think it will remain the party of Trump or do you think it'll revert back to sort of the Romney McCain style thing or something else? Yeah. Well, as you know, I used to be a Republican um, and I'm open to being one again. Um, but right, you know, the truth of the matter is we only have two parties that are viable in our system. Um, and we're not going to change that by pretending like it's already been changed, right? We need to get somebody in office who's going to support ranked choice voting or something. And then, and then I'd probably be voting libertarian maybe, although that party's mm -hmm. also gone a little off the rails lately. Um, I'd never in a million years vote green, even though I, I do definitely think we need to do something about the environment. I mean, you know, between the two main major parties, um, the Republicans were more my style fiscally. The Democrats were a little more my style socially. I was fine with relatively conservative Democrats that we've had lately since the third way. Um, I think Mitt Romney would have been a great president. Um, I think John McCain absolutely would have been a phenomenal um, life-changing, one of our greatest presidents. I think he was an incredibly good man. And Trump's uh, attacks on McCain are just so despicable. Um, but like, so long story short, I really care about what happens to the Republican Party. I think it's important for democracy that we have two viable parties that aren't evil. I think it's important to have two options that are distinct, but that are both within the bounds of decency and American values. Um, so I would like to see the Republican Party return to its small government, fiscally conservative roots. Um, I believe that social conservatives deserve a voice as well, um, even though I think some of the things they want to do are patently unconstitutional. Um, but, you know, I would like I would like nothing more for the Republican Party to go back to the party that nominated John McCain or Mitt Romney. Right. I mean, Mitt Romney voted to remove Trump because Trump is a traitor. Um he put country over party. He, he's, he, he's a hero, as far as I'm concerned. I would vote for that guy in a second. I'd probably vote for him over over Joe Biden because Biden's going to raise my taxes and and Romney wouldn't, you know. But like right now, we're fighting for the survival of democracy and we're fighting for the survival of the Republican Party. Trump is destroying the Republican Party. Do you have any numbers on this uh, lately? Because, you know, the party has been hemorrhaging supporters. The percentage of Americans who still identify as Republican keeps dropping. They used to be able to reliably get uh, college-educated white voters and affluent people in the suburbs. Um, those people are fleeing the party like crazy, especially since they have a moderate like Joe Biden to go to. Um, so I, I think it, if 
Trump loses and loses big, then the Republican Party will have a chance to have a come to Jesus moment, rediscover their values. Um, they will try to say, oh, we didn't really want that. You know, that wasn't us. That was just Trump. Um, and, you know, um, Democrats aren't going to let them get away with it. They're going to call them on their bullshit, which I think is fair. But I also think that it's important that we let the party move on, because if you heckle them, when they're trying to move on from Trumpism, that's only going to, you know, decrease the odds that they succeed at de-radicalizing their own voters and getting the party back on track. So I think we need to like act like Lincoln did after the Civil War and let some healing happen. But yes, I I hope that the Republican Party can get back to its roots. If Trump gets reelected, then I'm very terrified for the country and for the party because then it'll be tripling and quadrupling down on borderline fascist ideology that is, you know, national socialism is basically what it is. And it, we know how that went in the past. I'm not saying that it's gone full Third Reich yet, mm -hmm. but, you know, it could. You know, I mean, it could happen here. American exceptionalism, and I believe in American exceptionalism. I think we're, we're, we are the greatest country in the world. We're the oldest democracy. We're not perfect, right? More modern democracies had a chance to learn from us. We could learn from them a little bit. But we are a wonderful, great nation founded by brilliant people. And we need to fight to keep that alive. But American exceptionalism sometimes has us let our guard down where we think it couldn't happen here. It absolutely could happen here. It, the only thing that's stopping it is us. You know, we can't just lay back and let elites take care of it. We need to step up as regular people and do our part to save America. Yeah. Do you, uh, you mentioned the, the the Republican Party kind of size. I I was looking at some data actually recently about that, and it's quite surprising. If you look at party affiliation, let's start here all the way back to like 2004 when, you know, probably like I would argue it was a little bit more kind of reasonable. And you yeah. say, okay, about a third, the left column here is Republican a third Republican, a third independent, and about 30% Democrat in 2004. So also notably in 2004, there were more Republicans than Democrats. True. Now, if you jump up to the top, which would be uh, 2020, uh, actually just a few weeks ago, it's still about a third, a third, and a little bit more independence, but you don't yeah. see a massive hemorrhaging of the Republican Party. And so it kind of says to me, like, even though Trump is kind of, um, you know, terribly, uh, you know, it, it, uh, un unfit for office, I think the the team tribal spirit is so strong mm -hmm. that people are sticking with, you know, whatever jersey they were wearing. Yeah, that, that's fair. Maybe hemorrhaging was a little bit of an exaggeration, but like I'm looking at the numbers you just showed me there, you know, going from 34 percent of the population to 29% of the population. True. Yeah, it's that's it's losing material. five that's not yeah. 5% of, that's not 5% of your voters. That's 5% of America that left mm -hmm. the party, right? I mean, True. I maybe yeah. you're better doing math in your head, but what percentage of that is it? That's like what? 1 1 one seventh of their party has left? That's that's yeah. a lot. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. It's you know, uh... um so <laughs> um and meanwhile the Democrats have held strong and they have, you know, they went from 31% to 30%, right? That's, that's like a little 1% drop that, you know, 
ups and up. And that's part of the normal up and down of the flow of politics. Mm-hmm. It is quite telling that the number of independents has increased significantly and is now 40%. I think yeah. a lot that's because a lot of people left the Republican Party and registered as independent. Yeah. Yeah, that, that for sure. There's definitely been contraction on the Republican side more to independents and Democrats have pretty much held firm. Yeah. And uh, as much as I... I look at that, I'm like, okay, that kind of makes sense. I'm also surprised how solid that Republican number has held up given the last few years. And mm-hmm. I mean, I'll I'll share a personal example. Like my mother is a hardcore Roman Catholic, mm-hmm. hated Clinton, would mm-hmm. always talk about his infidelity, his lying and his lifestyle or whatever. Mm-hmm. And but she is standing by Donald J Trump and will come up with every excuse possible. Oh, that's just locker room talk. He only settled those cases to dismiss some, you know, kind of uh PR issues. How did she, she explain really... away the fact that he literally had multiple affairs on his wives including having one affair on a wife who was pregnant at the time? You can't like there's no excuse for that, right? I think she would say when I brought this up with her, she said that, well, we don't know that he had those affairs. All we know is that he he settled and that was because they, they were nuisance cases and that and that's normal. Like celebrities do this all the time. Well, that's what we call wishful thinking. And it's, it's <laughs> obviously it's obviously holding Trump to a different standard than it totally than is. Biden. It completely I mean, is. Bi- Bi- Biden. Biden is a, you know, he's a Cub Scout. Right? No, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was mean, Obama, frankly. I mean, I Obama was an absolute class act. If he wasn't black, I don't think that very many people would have been so offended by the guy, frankly. I mean, I know that's a little crude to say, but what else what is there to dislike about him other than that? I mean, yeah. he was a I mean, sure, you could disagree with his policies and I didn't agree with all of his policies either, right? But as a person, I mean, he was unimpeachable. He was in office for eight years. The Republicans were constantly looking for things to get him with, and they couldn't. They had to go after the Secretary of State instead. Yeah. I mean, I think the Republicans did uh, focus a lot of time on the pastor at Obama's church. I think he gave a sermon about uh, God blank of America kind of stuff, but... It is. It is. You're right. Like if you go, if you hold a person. Accountable, By the way, I think that was a legitimate scandal. I think that uh, you know, frankly, that 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 pastor is not a good person. Nobody should be going to his church. Yeah, but but I mean, like if that's the worst thing you can pull out of his past in comparison to Bill Clinton and Donald Trump, I mean, the guy's practically a saint. Yeah, Seriously. yeah. You're saying, hey, I'm going to hold Obama accountable for what people said at a church he attended at some you know at mass he attended one time or a couple times yeah. and then but for trump like we're gonna make excuses for literally like well hey he i don't think he goes to church but then which is fine Nor has he ever me. read the bible you can tell yeah 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 <laughs> <laughs> it's like a he's only like an alien kind of like what is this thing um well i mean for one thing could you imagine him having enough like to like attention just to be able to focus to read a book of that length i like i'm, I'm pretty sure he's never read crime and punishment either yeah, no, I mean he doesn't. He doesn't strike me as a bookworm. Uh, <laughs> that's for sure. But no, um, he definitely has some intelligence. But he does. He, you know, book smarts is not something Donald Trump has. 
No, he is super smart at getting under people's skin, uh-huh. at pointing out sort of like, um, you know, potential kind of inconsistencies and just sort of diminishing people. I mean, he's a great, he's great at making other people seem, uh, you know, other. And that's his, I mean, he's, that he is world-class at that. Uh, yeah. But, you know, I mean, that's I not useful way, when a, you're trying to lead in a crisis. Yeah, I think in a way he's a better politician than he than he is uh, president. Yes. Um, his style of politics is appalling and revolting and, and should be, pe- people who support him should be ashamed of it. But he is effective. I mean, he won against Hillary Clinton, who is a veteran politician who really knew her stuff and who had more money than him and who had more competent people working for her. Um, you know, it was partially the look of the draw, luck of the draw and the James Comey thing didn't help. But I mean, honestly, he shouldn't have even been close. Uh, so he is, you got to give him credit. Like, is, as, as much as his style turns us off, he is a pretty good politician. Um, you know, it's just not using his powers for good. Hey, Rio, someone wanted to know, uh, Paul wanted to know your thoughts on uh, land value tax. You you mentioned like, hey, you might prefer Romney over Biden because you know that Biden would raise your taxes. Do you, do you have uh, thoughts on on taxes on land value? Yeah, I, I don't I don't support property taxes. Um, I, I actually put up at movingforwardpod.com. I have uh, my preferred tax policy involves massively raising the standard deduction um, and having a flat tax over that with no loopholes or write-offs um, of any kind. Um, it involves rolling uh, corporate earnings into individual income taxes, which is actually based on something that Milton Friedman advocated uh, mm-hmm. way back in the day. Um, and uh, it involves doing away with all property taxes and doing away with estate taxes. I think that w- when people have already paid taxes on stuff, you shouldn't make them pay taxes on it more. Um, I, I I, I, my, my philosophy is that I believe the problem is we need, um, we, we have a growing gap between the middle class and the rich, and we have an even bigger growing gap between the merely rich and the super rich. And that is an actual, that's the real income inequality problem in America. Um, today, uh, poverty is actually one fifth of what it was in 1960. Um, and the only demographic that still reliably does better than their parents today are people who began in the bottom third of the income demographic. Whereas, you know, not that, you know, a few decades ago, it was the bottom nine tenths could expect to do better. So we've hit a point of diminishing returns where people have made it into the middle class, but they're struggling to attain independent wealth. And I believe that wealth is the solution to poverty, not the cause of poverty. So we need to um, restructure our tax code so that the burden of paying for programs doesn't fall on the middle class anymore. Yeah, I think uh, I think there's like a lot of ways to for the government to collect revenue. I don't have a p- particular strong view on land value taxes, but I would say that whatever system we end up with, you would hope that the people who have done really well pay more into the system <laughs> than the people who are struggling. And I don't know that we could say that with today's tax system. No, um, it is certainly true that uh, very wealthy people um, are much can much more easily avoid paying taxes. They're technically in a higher bracket, but they have more write-offs. So that's why I have the high standard deduction and then a flat tax with no write-offs over that. Right? It's just mm-hmm. simple. 
it's easier it's easier to do and put a lot of accountants out of out of work frankly um and that would be a good thing people should just pay taxes and they shouldn't be able to avoid it I, the the people who are getting screwed by our current tax code are people like you and me tom who you know have decent incomes and mm-hmm. some some wealth right but we're not astronomically rich we're we're upper middle class right we mm-hmm. pay a much huge, much larger percentage of our income than Jeff Bezos does. And that is seriously messed up. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, I, for one, living in California, when I add up my state income tax and federal and property, it's it's over half of my, my gross. And, uh, yeah. you know, like I'm grateful that I'm able to, to still, you know, do live comfortably, but it it does make you wonder, like, well, wait a minute, why why is Trump only paying seven hundred and fifty bucks, and I'm paying way yeah, more? Yeah, we pay more in a in a week than he does in a whole year. It's absurd, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, no, I mean, if if you and I didn't have to pay that much in taxes, we would invest it, right? Mm-hmm. Talk about you know trickle down, right? That'd be like trickle from maybe the middle, right? We'd start businesses, we'd put money in the stock market, right? Which we do anyway, but we'd do more of that. Whereas the very, very, very rich people, they do tend to hoard their wealth um, off offshore rather often, right? Yeah. So yeah, we need to, you should be paying like maybe 20% or, or actually by my, I don't know how much you make, but by my tax code, you might not be paying anything. <laughs> mm. I, I Well, you know, I, I'm all for paying uh, less. <laughs> I, I think for me, the even bigger thing for me is what whatever I pay, I don't have great confidence that it's being used uh-huh. efficiently. And yeah. I'm like, well, where is this money going? Like, I, I would be much happier to actually pay even 10% more in tax than I pay today if I knew that it was, like, distributed to... Uh, uh, the, the, the country in a way that delivered results. And right now I feel like it's feeding this like inefficient bureaucratic kind of mess. And mm-hmm. that, that, that with all these strange kind of um, perverse incentives. So I, I feel like uh, obviously, you know, I think that's why we were brought together by uh, Mr. Yang. I think he, yeah. he had a very um, kind of inclusive way of looking at it that appealed to what I would call like, part libertarians like you and I, mm-hmm. yeah. but also to a lot of like super ultra progressive folks who wanted to really make a real dent in poverty. And uh, it's sad that, uh, you know, here we are faced with the choices we have. What, what, what are your thoughts on, uh, on Andrew? Like what, what do you, do you, how would you rate the job he's doing post campaign and, and his prospects for the future? I think he's been doing better post campaign than he did during the campaign. So the Yang gang had a lot of people in it who were like Trump people. I had a lot of people in it who were Bernie people. Um, there weren't actually very many kind of Rockefeller, Republican, libertarian, mm-hmm. conservative, dim blue dog, dim people. There weren't a lot of like establishment people, pro establishment people in Yang's campaign. You and I, are <laughs> I think you might be the only other one I've met. Not a lot of us. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and so they've been shitting on, on Yang because he's, he's, uh, you know, trying to get Biden elected, but if they actually read his book and paid attention to it, they'd understand the reason that Andrew Yang ran wasn't just to give people money. It was to de-radicalize people 
because he was worried about the fact that Donald Trump would destroy civilization, frankly. Like, that's his argument. His argument is, is that's that's the part of the, that appealed to me. I, I like the fact that because he's funding it with a VAT, the UBI is de facto tax relief for me, and I would welcome that, right? I would still be paying more into the system that I'm getting back, but I would mm-hmm. be in a better place than I am now. Um, but mainly, the point was to de-radicalize people. He was saying there are all these people who have been left behind, um, there are the, these, these ghost towns in the middle of the country where there's no opportunities. This UBI would be good for local businesses. It would reinvig- reinvigorate the local economies and create mm-hmm. jobs. And then they wouldn't be susceptible to demagogues like Donald Trump who are going, who, who present an existential threat to human civilization. That is the argument for why establishment people, for why people like you and me, for whom the status quo works fine, other than the fact that we pay too much in taxes, um, you know, that's the argument is we, we want to save America from itself. And one way of doing that is to de-radicalize people through, through programs like Yang's supporting. And it's important to point out that Joe Biden supports democracy dollars, which is huge. It's that's huge. Like Yang gang has got to vote for this guy. Yeah. I was in a Twitter debate, uh, recently and someone said to me, how could you support Andrew Yang? And not support Trump. And I was like, what the, what are you talking about? Like, he's the opposite of Trump. Yeah. And if you. He literally said that. He literally said, I'm the opposite of Donald Trump. Yeah. And if you look at Yang's policies, of which, as as everybody knows, there's like 150 of them. Mm -hmm. And then you look at Biden's policies and you Mm -hmm. compare them. There's probably like 60, 70 percent overlap. Like they're yeah. generally moving in the same direction. Criminal justice reform. I just mentioned democracy dollars. Climate. Uh, Biden's healthcare. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Biden's healthcare plan is very similar yes. to Andrew Yang's form yes. of Medicare for yes. all. Yes. On and on and on. And so, uh, environment. So, the the types of people mm-hmm. that would be in the administration. And then, if you look at Trump's plan, which he has mm-hmm. none, but if you look at what he's done, it's completely different from what Yang would have done. And so to me, it's like, there's no, this is not a hard call. If if you are for, if you were for Yang, I don't see how you can say, oh yeah, well, four more years of Trump. I'd like more of that, please. Like that will, that's totally like Yang light because it's not, it's anti-Yang. Yeah. Well, I mean, it it is quite literally anti-Yang because Yang is telling us what he thinks is in the interest of his movement. And that's to vote for Joe Biden. Right. Mm-hmm. I yeah. mean, I, I've, I've frankly been telling people if you're not going to vote for Biden, you're not Yang Gang. Well, now you're touching on a very uh, interesting topic, like the definition of Yang Gang, because <laughs> like what we does it say in Webster's? Yeah, like when we, we were talking about at the beginning of this conversation, I do find myself now on Twitter seeing things said by people with the blue hats. And I'm like, whoa, that is like a very, very different worldview than I have. Like, you know, debating about uh, COVID or whether COVID is like really a crisis. And, uh, you know, things that I would say, well, clearly the scientists have, have, have you know, concluded that this it really, it really is a global pandemic. Like people really are dying. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I wonder, like, What's your take? Like we clearly have splintered. 
Do you see us rejoining or do you feel like it's been so uh, kind of divergent that it will be hard to kind of reconnect in 2024, hopefully as we want to? Um, I think that Yang <clears throat> Yang was almost certainly going to lose because he was an outsider. But more importantly, he was an outsider to politics. He had no political experience. Um, and it's amazing that he made it as far as he did, where he was pulling in fifth or fourth place in some, mm -hmm. in some cases. That yeah. was incredible, right? Um, but that said, the biggest mistake he made was that he failed to transition from being an insurgent anti-establishment candidate backed by an insurgent anti-establishment movement into becoming a mainstream establishment Democrat. That's a very hard thing to do in the course of one campaign. And that's part of the reason why I feel like what he's done since then has, is amazing. I mean, he's routinely talking on CNN. Mm -hmm. He's building relationships with the news media, which he did yeah. not have during the campaign. He's building relationships with people like Joe Biden. He's probably going to be in the Biden administration, right? He's going to have more political experience. He's going to have more connections in the media and he's going to have connections with elites. And I understand that, populism teaches us that all the world's problems are the fault of educated people, but you know, elites are in charge for a reason. And when a smart person like Andrew Yang tells them that the makes the case for why uh, the establishment should support his policies, because it's in the interest of preserving democracy. I mean, statements like I, I'm a capitalist and I believe that universal basic income is necessary for capitalists to continue. We need more of that. Right. We need Yang to become an establishment Democrat with connections and experience, and then he will have a shot of actually being the Democratic nominee. You can't be the Democratic nominee running against the party. So I think he needs to distance himself from the Trump and Bernie part of the Yang gang and broaden his coalition to include normal Democrats. Yeah, I could imagine a lot of folks would say, hey, the reason I like Yang was that he wasn't an establishment Democrat. Um, but I totally understand where you're coming from, Rio, which is, I think your point is, well, he's not going to get anything done if he doesn't get on a freaking ballot and get the nomination. Yeah, no, what the thing, the point they're missing is that winning is synonymous with becoming the establishment. <laughs> Right. I mean, when you when you yeah. if you if you say I won't ever support an establishment person, no matter what his policies are. Right. And no matter what his character is, then you're just saying I will never support a winner. All right. Yeah. I mean, that's the that's the quandary. I think a lot of people find themselves in, which is they they hate the establishment. But then if someone they like uh, makes inroads into the establishment, I think they assume that that person will become kind of tainted by the swamp. And this is where I actually believe that Andrew at his heart is a problem solver mm -hmm. and that he, he doesn't need this to kind of like check off a box on his resume or to, to feel accepted or loved or whatever. Like I think he seems like a pretty confident kind of um, aware person. Yeah. And so I'm fine. If he needs to kind of like make friends with the establishment to then be in a position to implement things that solve problems, like why is that such a terrible thing? I, I was it's listening to networking. 
Like, I mean, it's part of every career. You have to do it, right? And yeah. it doesn't mean you have. It doesn't mean you have to agree with them about everything. It doesn't mean you have to like them. You need to make sure they know you and they like you, right? I mm-hmm. mean, kind of a no-brainer. I, we shouldn't have to explain the basics of politics and human psychology uh, to people. But you know, part of the problem too is that Yang did succeed at bringing a lot of people into politics who had kind of tuned out, who were cynical and apathetic. And so, you know, it's understandable that they're, they'll, you know, they're a, they're a little green. They don't really understand how the actual political process works because they haven't been participating in it. Some of them ever, right? Yeah. But, like now, if they want to win, they ought to study it. What I've heard from uh, folks on on a in a different side of the table, let's just say, is they would say no. The way for Yang to really make impact and retain his independence is to push away the Democratic Party. And this is where I think a lot of the Unity 2020 stuff came up and to uh, to form this dark horse duo approach. Uh, but I, I just don't see how that would actually work. Our country has a history of third parties that, you know, Maybe I guess Ross Perot was probably the most successful where he got like whatever, 10, 15 percent. But um, it's much more, it's much more yeah. likely that you're going to persuade you're going to change the party from within. Pick a party, vote in primaries, participate in the party at the local level, work your way up the ladder, influence the party. And then you can turn the Democratic Party into the Yang Party. Right. That's how you do it. You're, you're and, not going and- to do it by 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 running yeah. as a third party candidate. That, that's and, a great you know, point. Even, Trump is a perfect yeah. example of someone who changed the party. Like it can be yeah. done. Yeah. And he did it. He did it by tapping into a demographic that was already there. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and he did it by, indeed, he did do it by running as a kind of insurgent um, and by attacking specific members of the establishment and by talking about corruption in general. Those are all things that Yang could do. Um, but, he didn't run against the Republican party because when you do that, if you, if you, if you run against the party itself, you're telling 90% of the people who are going to vote for you that you're running against them. Yeah. I, I, I I tend to agree. I mean, I think if, if Yang can take a page out of Trump's book, I hate to say that, but, and basically work from within the democratic party, and mm-hmm. appeal to a lot of Democrats who are party members, but we're like not really thrilled with what we're getting mm-hmm. and then win over the rest and, and get the nomination. Then we could, the democratic party could become the party of Yang, the party Absolutely. of basic income, democracy dollars, you know, scorecard, all the things that we want. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I would imagine if you had to bet on the probability of Yang ending up in the oval, it would be much higher that he would do it with the support of the Democratic Party versus uh, starting a third party. I, I just oh, don't. He's, see he's it, not. Right? He's not going to. Yeah. No, the third. If a third party ever actually miraculously won, it would then become one of the two parties. We will always have a two-party system as long as we have a first-past-the-post voting system. It's just a natural side effect of the way our electoral process works. It's a winner-takes-all system. Even part. Even countries that have parliamentary systems the parties end up forming into coalitions so that they can get a majority in parliament, right? 
coalitions mm-hmm. for a majority is what happens in a democratic process. Even with ranked choice voting, that would kind of happen, right? The difference is that you, you know, you could vote your conscience and then still also make your second choice be, you know, Biden instead of Trump or whatever, rather than throwing your vote away. That's a good thing. But yeah, I mean, you know, it's not going to win with a third party. Um, I, I'm thinking a lot of people probably are, are going, well, let's talk about the data for a second, Tom, because mm-hmm. you pointed out, you know, you showed it's now 40% of, of registered mm-hmm. voters are independents, right? Yeah. So some people might be wondering, well, if 40% are independent, then why does it have to be a Republican or a Democrat? Well, because if you actually go into the numbers, the vast majority of that 40% have they're asked, which party do you lean more toward, the Republicans or the Democrats? And most of them lean more toward one or the other. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's part of it. And also because you can't just assume that all 40% of those <laughs> independents agree with your vision, right? It, they're not going to vote green, right? Um, uh, Jorgensen was the, became the, the Green Party nominee with like 5,000 votes or something. I mean, you know, Biden got more votes in one county, right? I mean, these third parties don't have enough subscribers to win. Yeah, I think independent is a pretty broad term. It probably is best described as like uh, definitely not either of the two, but that doesn't mean the Greens and the Libertarians and uh, you know any other groups are are naturally going to converge. I mean, they're quite quite splintered. Um, you you mentioned like for the independents, do they lean one way or another? Here's that that Gallup uh, poll. It's quite interesting. It's so almost evenly split, a little bit more mm-hmm. towards the Democrats. Uh, but this is like, hey, for independents, do you lean more one way or another? So it's, it's 45-50 to the Democrats now. If we go back in time to, uh, let's say, we were saying 2004. Can just bear with me uh, when this poll started? Yeah, so that means there's just 5% of independents who don't have a strong party preference between the two major parties. <laughs> And in 2004, it was 48, 46. I mean, it's so interesting how, you know, you're either, uh, you know, Coke or Pepsi, pretty much. (laughs) Nobody's going for like RC Cola. Well, and also, frankly, if they were registered green or libertarian, then they wouldn't show up in that independent category. They wouldn't be registered independent. That's right. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There just aren't, third parties don't work. They won't work. Um, working within the democratic party and becoming the establishment is the goal. You know, I mean, part of the problem too, is that especially on the left flank of the democratic party, um, there is a lot of people who are kind of, they have sort of anarchist tendencies, which does not mean libertarian in the way that you and I are. It means Mm -hmm. they don't really believe in the process. They think that the real way to change is to like go out on the streets and riot and protest, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They don't really believe, um, that their vote counts. Um, so it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. They don't participate in the process. And when they do participate, they usually throw their vote away. Um, so they have no influence. You know, it blows my mind whenever people complain about how, ah, the Democrats, they're so right wing. And it's like, well, maybe if some lefties actually voted for them sometimes, they would have more influence in the party. Mm, yeah. Yeah. It's uh, Well, hopefully we can get... I mean, can you blame them for writing off a group of voters who don't vote for them? I think uh, I can't. I think the party will go for in a direction that will result in them having more power. And if they feel like uh, there's a group of people who will never support that party, then they won't feel obligated to uh, try and retain them. So you're right. Like if if 
Now, I think AOC is a great example of someone who is pulling the party in a direction from within. And what we need is we need Yang to do the same thing, but obviously uh, in a forward direction, maybe not yeah, left the- or right. <laughs> Right, maybe not backward in yeah. a human capitalist direction instead of a socialist direction. But that would be it, like clearly, it can be done. Like someone can come out of nowhere. But in order to do that, like AOC was smart. She didn't join like some other party. She went from within, and mm-hmm. she's probably having way more impact by influencing the Democratic Party than Definitely. if she were to form like some other ticket. She would be a total internet crank otherwise. She would have no power. Right. So I guess we're in agreement that Yang should try and uh, reform the Democrats from within. But let's also acknowledge there's a lot of Yang gang who probably are going to hear this and say, oh, these these corporate Democrats or establishment (laughs) folks are trying to taint our our guy, but I would say like, we're trying to get UBI passed guys. (laughs) Like you want, you want it, you want the bag or not. Right. Well, maybe that's where we differ in terms of folks within the, the, the gang. I think there are people who are very much like, I want these outcomes. I want UBI. I want democracy dollars. I want a scorecard. I want just data driven policy. Mm -hmm. And I don't care how he gets it done. If he has to go to a bunch of democratic like fundraisers and mingle with all the democratic whatever, I don't care. I want or, the or results. Even if it's him yeah. who does it, frankly. Right. And, and, and I think it's important to point out that neither does Yang. Yeah. He doesn't care. It's it, this isn't about his self-aggrandizement as a cult of personality for him. This is about actually achieving real life outcomes in policy. Now there is another part of the gang who is less about outcomes. And is more about, no, I, I want to blow up this system entirely. I don't care if you can get me a few policy wins if you have to do it through this swampy two-party system. And I just mm-hmm. I just want to disrupt and start over. And as much as I'm sympathetic to that argument, I just don't see how that actually will result in like a better uh, country. Like I don't see. Can you how elaborate get... on that? Because I mean, on the two points, why, why would you be sympathetic to it, and why do you think it wouldn't work? <laughs> okay, yes. So I would be sympathetic because I I understand that people see the current two party system as ineffective and kind of uh, uh, dishonest and old and tired and and producing very kind of unsatisfactory results. I get that. Mm -hmm. They're like, well, you know, look at the the crap that we have to choose between lesser of two evils, blah, 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 like super delegates, like weird kind of debates, rules, yada, yada, yada. They don't want party bosses. I get that. So I am sympathetic to that because I do feel like at the end of the day, we deserve a government that's responsive to us and that gives us the maximum kind of utility for our, for our resources. I don't think we're getting it. But the reason why I find it hard to see how it would work is, okay, let's say that they are, both houses are tainted. So t- walk me through how this works. Like how, where is your alternative? And I think the closest was all of this energy around that Unity 2020 thing, within large parts of the Yang Gang, 
but when you looked at the plan, there literally were no dates, there mm -hmm. were no details, there was no transparency, and it was a bunch of energy that I think at the end of the day resulted in very poor results. And so it's fine if you want to um, kind of curse the system you have today, but you need to come with a better plan. You need now to you come up to with it, an alternative. You have to it from within. Short of an actual violent revolution, right? You have to change it from within. And there are people who are advocating violent revolution. And I've got to say, I don't think that's going to work either. I mean, it was one thing when we revolted against Britain and they had to come over on ships, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Now, we're talking about revolting against the United States government that has the largest military in the world on its own soil. Totally different ballgame. Yeah. Not yeah, to mention I, the fact that it would be morally repugnant. <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying, like, even if you wanted it, it's not going to work out how you like. Now, the one thing that I do wish, if I had a magic wand, I could go back in time, is I wish the Unity 2020 people had spent the same amount of energy focusing on one state's ballot to introduce ranked choice voting and open primaries. There you go. I, I actually they think would have that would have something. They yeah. the one thing that they did. You know, there are people who are accomplishing that now. There are people who are making ranked choice voting happen, right? Yeah. And 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 that's also a common mistake that third parties use too. While they have no prayer of winning the presidency, they might be able to win one seat in the state the state house, right? It happens yeah. every now and then. Start there and work your way up. Yeah. As a party, I mean, as an individual were... politician and as a party. There were probably tens of thousands of hours of volunteer time and energy and sort of, um, you know, spreading of the word around that Unity 2020 stuff. If we had done it towards like, I'll be selfish, a California proposition to mm -hmm. introduce open primaries and RCV, mm -hmm. I, I have to believe, or, or a smaller state, whatever, like yeah. it, it probably could have started a movement and yeah. gotten us way more. Just like happened with yeah. uh, um, marijuana legalization. Yes. Just like happened with same-sex yeah. marriage. And in both cases, it's leading, or with same-sex marriage, it led right up to the national level. Yeah. Uh, and with marijuana legalization, it's leading right up to the level. I mean, Biden supports it now. So, like, you've just, this is, or decriminalization, which is still huge. I mean, mm -hmm. it's going to be legal on a federal level yeah. someday soon because it started in one state. Yeah. That's how you do it. I mean, you know, but I, th I think that's the, I think that you're really getting to the heart of it. And this is why I'm actually not sympathetic to that way of thinking mm. at all. Not even a little bit. Um, I think it's toxic and harmful. Um, and it's because for the, it comes down to fundamentally, like, are you trying to actually achieve a real good thing in real life to make the world a better place for real people actually in real life for real? Or are you just trying to virtue signal and make yourself feel good in some kind of weird pseudo religious ceremony of crying on the internet? If you're trying to do the latter, then you need to sit down and shut up and let the grownups take care of this. Now I, I will say, uh, let me soften that a little bit, Rio. <laughs> Tell us what you really think, Rio. Let, let, <laughs> let me just let, I think what you're saying is that, you do appreciate that there are probably people who supported these movements who had the best intentions. And I think what we're saying is like, okay, how do we channel that and get real results that have positive impact? And if we, if we put it towards efforts 
that only have a 1% probability of succeeding when you could do it to something that has a 33% probability, even if the 33% path doesn't get you like the big overnight win, you're still making progress. Yeah. And I guess, you know, everybody has, it's a free country. They can spend their time the way they want. And if they want to buy the lottery ticket and think, oh, I could get Yang in the White House in 2020 by supporting a particular effort, that's their right. I'm just, I'm, I'm not challenging like their right to do what they want with their time. I'm just saying, hey, if we want to help the country and help people, let's just run the numbers and say like, okay, what's the chance of that happening? Multiply the probability times the outcome. That's your expected value. Do the same thing for other options. And then like kind of make a call based on, on the, the best decision tree you can draw. Yeah, and if you suck at math, let Tom do it for you. Let Yang do it for you. But we should actually be about the math. And Yang is about the math. Yang has done the math and he he knows, I guarantee you, as soon as he saw that Unity 2020 thing, he did the math and thought, that's not going to happen. It wasn't a 1% chance. It was a 0% chance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that is that's the other part where I've seen a lot of people say like, oh, well, Yang doesn't get it. The way to get Yang is to either go for uh, a third party or uh, to to reelect Trump. And that's the best way for Yang to win. And my feeling is like, well, Yang's no idiot. Like he's clearly endorsed Biden. He's campaigning for Biden. He's on the Biden campaign now advisory for a small business. Do we think we know something like we know more than he does? Is he and if he's that dumb, then maybe we shouldn't be supporting him. So I think mm -hmm. there's a third explanation, which is I unlikely, but maybe Yang does believe that Trump winning is in his interest, but can't say it. But that's a real stretch, in my opinion. No, he absolutely doesn't think that because he is smart and because he would be wrong if he thought that. What do you think about that argument? I've heard it's advocated that the way to get Yang elected is to reelect Trump mm -hmm. and either have such a disaster that the Democratic Party feels like it has to try something brand new. Um, I think that's the main argument for having the Trump 2020, Yang 2024 argument, either that Trump would be such a disaster or that it maintains like this need for a radical kind of new approach. Well, there are so many problems with that. Um, the first thing is that Trump represents, truly does represent an existential threat to our basic institutions. Um, and so accelerationists who think that things getting worse is going to inevitably result in, you know, either their ethno state utopia or their communist utopia coming to fruition um, are just wrong. Um, accelerationism will result in, in the corrosion of the democratic institutions to, and to the point where we become a real banana republic. Um, and then they, then there's nothing to stop the government from trampling on our rights and running us over with tanks when we don't like it. And that has happened over and over and over again, it, you know, in, um, in democracies around the world, that's how modern democracies fall. Okay. Um, so accelerationism doesn't work, but even if Trump, you know, even if our institutions prove to be very robust and do stand up to Trump and, and our democracy survives another four years of Trump, which is possible. You know, I'm, if Trump gets reelected, I will be doing my part to make sure that he fails at destroying this country. Um, you know, but like, even if that happens, 
Trump has, we've already seen what this does to the electoral process, right? People are fleeing the Republican Party. Frankly, educated people, people with money, people with college degrees are fleeing the Republican Party and going to the Democrats, all right? Because they are trying to save democracy and they have, frankly, better, higher ideals than Trump's base. So what what's what 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 is what is going to happen when Lincoln Project people, when people like me, go from being one percent of the Democratic Party to being five percent or ten percent, and also the part of the party that has the most influence because we have the most education, we have the most connections, we have the most money. The Democratic Party is going to become more right wing and more conservative as a consequence of it, not more left wing. Um, so it just no matter how you look at it, there's no way it's going to play out that way. What if you separate out the existential threat part? What if, because I've heard mm-hmm. some people say, hey, you know, Trump is bad. He says a lot of crazy stuff. But at the end mm-hmm. of the day, like there's only so much a president can do. So in a world where he doesn't roll out the tanks and he's just like Trump being Trump for another four years, like kind of like says crazy stuff, but, you know, appoints conservatives to the Supreme, to the, to the, to the judicial branch and maybe raises tariffs here and there and cuts taxes. Like, would that be the end of the world or what do you think? No, it wouldn't be the end of the world, but the people who are going to be most hurt by that are the people who are voting for Donald Trump and the people who are saying they're not going to vote for Joe Biden. You and I would be fine, you know? And frankly, even if it is an existential threat, we will leave the country because we have the resources to do that, right? Like there are a lot of people in America who are going to be stuck here in a dystopian nightmare, either because we do lose our democracy or because our democracy survives, as you said, in this scenario, right? Mm -hmm. And our economy like collapses because Trump's doing a left-wing trade war. I say left-wing because you have to go to a socialist like Bernie Sanders to find somebody who supports Trump's protectionist trade policies in the Democratic Party. Biden is to the right of Trump on trade. Um, So the long-term consequences of a trade war is going to be very, very bad for the economy in the United States, which is already in a pseudo-depression, right? Um, So there are a lot of people whose lives are going to be made much worse by that. And the people that you're trying to hurt, the evil liberal elites in New York and San Francisco and D.C., they're going to be fine, right? I mean, that's just plain shooting yourself in the foot. Yeah, I... uh... I tend to agree that if you if you wanted if you supported Yang and you cared about the mainstream America and working class people and people in poverty, uh, I don't think like a booming Nasdaq and more corporate <laughs> income tax cuts is going to do much for those people. Nope. Yeah. Nope. And more and more loopholes for the evil landlords that you want to steal the property from. <laughs> yeah, so I guess we'll uh, hopefully hopefully we'll 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 stop talking about Trump, uh, you know, <laughs> on January twentieth or whatever, and and have something else to talk about. Maybe we can start talking about Yang twenty twenty four. Are you are you? Do you think he's going to make a run for it, or what do you think? What do you oh, think is yeah. going to happen to our boy Andrew? I think if he doesn't run for president in twenty twenty four, it'll be because he had very good reason not to. It might be because Biden decides to go for a second term and he decides, you know, to, to 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 support that and in exchange for doing so gets UBI or something like that. It might be because he has lo- done some more math and decided that becoming the mayor of New York is a, is a smarter first step because that, that dramatically increases his odds of being president in 2028, 
right? I mean, if if Biden decides to run for re-election, I would think that he would probably run for mayor or something like that. That's probably mm. his backup plan because then he's teed up to have a really good shot. Uh, because like it or not, the Democratic Party is the party that believes in government and that believes in having people who know what they're doing run the government. Um, and they care about they care about experience, right? In a way that the average Republican voter doesn't. Um, and so I'm just saying, like, whatever you think, maybe you think it's better if they don't have experience. Do you want to win the Democratic primary? You have to actually persuade the average Democratic voter to vote for you. So yeah, no, I think he'll run. I think if 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 uh, if Biden doesn't run for re-election, which he might not, he's very old, um, then he'll run for president in 2024. And if he does, um, if uh, Biden does run for re-election, then I I would expect Yang to run for mayor of New York or something like that to yeah. tee himself up for 2028. I I would imagine Biden will not run for re-election. And I think it'll be a, re a really exciting primary. Mm -hmm. And what I hope is that Yang is able to win over, uh, you know, more, more than a few percent of the early caucus or primary voters. And in order to do that, he has to appeal to more than just the blue hats, right? Like, yeah, he's got to be like a, I hate to say it, a mainstream candidate because at the end of the day, you've got to win a majority of the country and you can, I mean, we've done great jobs. We trend things on Twitter and that's fantastic, but mm -hmm. we got to win. Yeah, no, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to sound totally negative. I mean, Yang Gang did amazing things for Andrew Yang. He would not be where he is right now. Mm -hmm. He wouldn't be on CNN. He wouldn't be uh, yeah, offered a position right. in the Biden administration, right? He wouldn't be ready to run in 2024 for office, right? He would not be where he is right now if it weren't for us. What we did was wonderful and we should be patting ourselves on the back for that. But if we want him to actually win next time, we have to we have to take a break from patting ourselves on the back and start reaching out to normal Democrats. Yeah, I kind of feel like uh, Yang's like this independent kind of like musician and we, we got onto him early. <laughs> But yes, he may need to do a record deal and he may need to sing some shit that we feel is a little mainstream, but he's still our Yang. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That is that's right. that's 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 good. And 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 he may not even he may not even have to sell out artistically all that much. Um because frankly, he he already has a uh he already has a, a message that he laid out in his book, The War on Normal People, mm -hmm. right? Which despite the very popular sounding title really made a narrative that should be compelling to establishment people. Do you want to preserve democracy? Do you want to preserve the rule of law? Do you want to preserve the constitution? Do you want to preserve capitalism? If you want those things, you need to embrace this policy platform and this candidate in order to do so. That's the case because those are the things that the establishment care about, right? The establishment isn't motivated because they want a thousand dollars. The establishment is motivated because they want to preserve civilization itself, which is under threat everywhere right now, not just in the United States. Um, communist and fascist populist movements are threatening liberal democracies everywhere in the world right now. And Yang has exactly the right diagnosis for why it's happening, which means he has the right prescription. That's his message. And I think it'll resonate for the 2024. And I, I really uh, can't wait, frankly, for this year and this election to be over so that we can actually focus on stuff that solves problems and leaders that we 
we uh, are really excited about, like Andrew. But uh, with that said, I know, uh, Rio, we said we keep it to 45 minutes, and I see we're <laughs> at an hour and a half. So uh, appreciate you uh, letting me co-host the yeah. Moving Forward pod. If you're hearing this on the Moving Forward pod, uh, or if you're seeing this on Nerds for Yang, go check out Moving Forward Pod. Uh, Rio has a lot of other interesting co-hosts and discussions on a regular basis. So uh, go look for it wherever you, you listen to your podcasts. Yeah, uh, you can find it very easily by going to movingforwardpod.com. And uh, most of the co-hosts are actually significantly to the left of both me and Tom. Um, so the show itself is actually very balanced in terms of the political spectrum. Right on. Anything else you <laughs> wanted to uh, to mention to the audience before we wrap up? Uh, just that moving forward is our gumbo and Andrew Yang is our taco. Moving forward is our gumbo and Andrew Yang is our taco. That is... Uh, the way that the moving forward pod always ends. And with that, I will just say goodbye nerds. Goodbye nerds. <laughs> <laughs> I do really love nerds. They're my favorite people. I love it. Thank you, sir. We'll see you next time. Cheers. Thanks, everybody, for uh, joining us for this great conversation with Rio and myself. Uh, it was a great privilege to be a guest co-host on uh, the Moving Forward pod. If you are interested in getting more of these conversations, because they are important to have, um, please check out movingforwardpod.com. Go ahead and subscribe and support this content because these types of conversations uh, are all too rare 